Now, as Daniel was going through this three-week fast, uh, it was kind of a, a type of fast where he cut back on certain things or privileges that he had. And he was a man that was willing to mourn over his nation. He was a man who was willing to battle in prayer, to get on his face before God, to confess his own sin and the sin of his people, to be an intercessor. And uh, when you are interceding for someone, when you're crying out to God for someone who may be hurting or for your nation or for an election or some sort of battle that's going on, you know that it can be very heavy. It can be a heavy burden to carry. You may be praying for reconciliation in a relationship or you might just be waiting on God for some answer to prayer. And Daniel, daring to be a Daniel means that you're willing to take some of those uh, strategic times in intercession, which is not fun. Uh, it's not the most exciting thing you could say. Sometimes it can be wearying to you, but uh, it's something that God will often call us to do. As Daniel did this, as he was seeking the Lord, he looked in verse 5 and he saw this great vision of a certain man dressed in linen. Notice he was girded with a belt of pure gold. His body was like beryl, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and his feet like gleam, the, the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words were really like the sound of a roaring stadium or many, many people. Thunderous is the idea there. Powerful. Why did Daniel see this vision at this moment? Well, I think for several reasons. Let me submit one of them is that I believe, and I ended last time with you in, in this uh, sense, and we went over to Revelation to compare, Revelation 1, and we started at about verse 12 through about 18, is we saw the similarity between what's here in Daniel 10 and the description that John the revelator who wrote Revelation gets in, in Revelation 1. Now, remember, as John sees Jesus Christ, the risen, glorified Christ, the great high priest who is forever at the right hand of God the Father, that was going into a book where John would get a prophecy, a revelation about a great war to come. And we do know that as the rest of the book of Revelation unfolds, we get a scene in heaven, we get to see these incredible angelic creatures, we get to see the throne room of God, the emerald rainbow around his throne, the 24 elders, all of the worship going to God the Father and to the Lamb. And then in Revelation 6, the seals begin to be broken. And we get, to, we get an idea of what's going to happen as seal number one breaks and seal number two, and we have war, famine, and pestilence. We have, you know, all of these things happening. We have cosmic disturbances. We have the sun and the moon growing dark. We have the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the rapture of the church. We have the resurrection. We have the day of the Lord. We've gone through that as we've taught the book of Revelation. Well, when Daniel sees an image or a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, the same thing is shared with Daniel. And the book of Daniel is to the Old Testament what the book of Revelation is to the New Testament. And so what Daniel sees is a revelation of Christ right before he's told about a coming conflict or a great war. Revelation 11, or excuse me, Daniel 11 will give us all kinds of details of little skirmishes and wars to come. But the ultimate war will be in Daniel 12 and it will take us right to the end times 
and right to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see the parallels between Daniel and Revelation because there are many. And I think it's important to see that the uh, revealing of Jesus Christ right at this critical moment, right in the midst of spiritual warfare, is really important because we need to keep our eyes on Jesus when we're in the battle. We need to remember that the battle is already won because Jesus Christ defeated principalities and powers at the cross, making an open spectacle and triumphing over them through the cross. From the cross, he said, it is finished. The war, the battle over sin and death paid in full. We are the redeemed of God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen? Now, that battle has been waged and won by Jesus. But there are battles to come. We are all facing our own battles with this world. Jesus Christ will one day rule and reign. And so at critical moments in salvation history, this has been pointed out by other Bible teachers frequently in biblical accounts, just at a critical time, the Lord would appear to certain of his followers. Uh, For example... In Genesis 18, to Abraham, the Lord appeared as a pilgrim or a traveler. In Genesis 32, to Jacob the schemer, he appeared as a wrestler. Before Joshua attacked Jericho, he came as the captain of the Lord's armies. I want to take you there. Hold your place in Daniel. Go to the book of Joshua. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Joshua chapter 5. They have to take Jericho or they're not going to take the promised land. Here's what happens. Critical moment. A new leader taking over for Moses. Joshua takes the baton. It's Joshua 5.13. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho. Joshua 5.13. That he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Verse 14, Joshua 5. And he said, No, rather I indeed come now as the captain of the hosts of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And we know Moses had a similar encounter if you turn back to the book of Daniel. And Joshua did as well. And it's interesting when we learn from the book of Ruth that the taking off of a sandal, we know it was holy ground and I think that's the first and most important point to make. But the taking off of the sandal from the book of Ruth was a sign in ancient Israel of giving up your right of redemption. You would you would take your sandal off and hand it to another And you were giving up your your rights to the land, if you will. And here at a critical moment for the nation of Israel, Joshua meets what we believe is a pre-incarnate, pre-Bethlehem appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right before he's going to go into battle. Right before he needs battle plans to somehow defeat this great wall of Jericho. And who appears at a critical moment? None other than Jesus. 
Even in Acts chapter 18, when Paul is in Corinth and Paul is afraid that he's going to be persecuted again, Jesus appears to him and says, Paul, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. I have many people in this city. In Isaiah chapter 6, you know that in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. I saw the king high and lifted up. In a year where a great king had died, and Isaiah was wondering about the future of his own nation, the Lord showed himself as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So it's been said, and I think it's appropriate to say, that whatever you need in a critical moment of your life when you're facing your own battles, the Lord will be that to you. He will appear to you and show you that he is more than sufficient to provide everything that you need in the battles that you face. And he shows up in different ways, as a traveler, as a wrestler, in Jacob's case, in the case of Joshua, as a leader of an army, in the case of Isaiah, as the glorified king of kings, king of the universe. Why? To show us that the battle is his, it's not ours. We just have to trust him. And I would say that that's probably the toughest part for all of us, right? We believe in his power. We've seen his glory. We've seen him work on multiple occasions, even when we've fretted, even when we've doubted. But we we can be weak and we can be fearful. I want to show you one other. I made you turn to Daniel, but I got to show you one other. And I I want to just kind of tie this together by taking you to Romans 13. Since we are talking about spiritual warfare, I want to show you something that I think maybe kind of puts the bow on the picture, and hopefully this will encourage you as much as it has encouraged me. Romans 13 says these words. Romans 13, verse 12. The night is almost gone. The day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness, Romans 13, 12, and put on what? Put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Bible students, take a look. When you put on the armor of light, verse 12, end of 12, essentially you are putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. The power that you and I need for the battle is the power, back to Daniel, of none other than the Lord himself. You see, when you clothe yourself with the armor of God, we're talking about spiritual warfare tonight, you are not clothing yourself with literal, you know, uh, knight armor. You're not taking a literal shield. You don't need a literal sword. These are spiritual metaphors. For what? For the power of God. For the power of God at critical moments in your life when you need to be clothed with his light to fight darkness. The additional metaphors of light and dark, darkness are helpful, aren't they? Because we have the armor of light to deal with the dark things of the world. That which opposes God. That which is often scary and frightening. And so Daniel sees this vision at a critical time for his own nation. A critical time for him personally. And I think we need to see it for ourselves as well as a reminder that Jesus Christ is alive and well, and he'll give us all the power we need. Now I, Daniel, Daniel 10, 7, alone saw the vision while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. 
And so I was left alone, Daniel 10.8. And I saw and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. If you have an NIV, it says I was helpless. Seems like all the blood drained out of Daniel's face. He, he became pale and weak. He had no strength left in him because he had met the risen Lord. Would you expect anything less? He had met the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He had seen a vision of the glorified, resurrected Jesus Christ. What would that do to you? <laughs> well, we know that you know, we're just flesh and blood. If the full glory of God is on display, God said, no one can see my face and live. So Jesus Christ shows up and Daniel is feeble. Daniel had seen the Son of Man. In Daniel 7, we get a vision that will help us, a picture of the Son of Man. Go back to Daniel 7, take a look. Uh, this is Daniel seven thirteen. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. To him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Praise God. Look at verse 9. I kept looking until... Thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A river of fire, verse 10, Daniel 7, was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. Myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. When Daniel sees the throne of God or the throne room of God, sees multitudes of angels, sees the Son of Man, the risen Christ, God the Son, second person of the Holy Trinity. Like Isaiah, he says, man, I was ruined. Isaiah 6, 5, when Isaiah saw the Lord in the full uh, grandeur of his glory, if you will, he said, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the Lord. When you see the Lord in this way, I think Spurgeon said, the closer you get to God, the more sinful you realize you are. And when people who are followers of God get a glimpse of His glory, they're ruined because they see themselves in the light of His glory. When you compare yourself to other people, it's pretty easy to look good especially next to certain people. We won't go there tonight. <laughs> right? And sometimes non-Christians even say, I'm better than that Christian down the street because we're doing horizontal comparisons. Sometimes people get confused. They say, why do I need a Savior? I'm a pretty good guy. But you're comparing yourself to other people. If you get a glimpse of the glory of the God who the Bible says is a consuming fire, you'll quickly know your need of a Savior. He is holy, holy, holy. He spoke the word, the world into existence by his very word. He is glorious. The whole earth is full of his glory. I heard a pastor say early, earlier today as I was listening to another teaching, the world is his theater. 
His glory is on display through birds that soar and sun, moon, and stars, but His glory is especially on display through men and women that we pass by every day who are made in the image of God, who even if they are unbelievers have experienced the common grace of God, not saving grace, but they've experienced the fact that the, it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. We've been given so many blessings. Even before we were Christians, amen, His glory shined on us. And so Daniel says, I heard the sound of His words, and as soon as I heard the sound of His words, I fell into a deep sleep. Reminds you of uh, Adam in Genesis 2.18 when the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon him and he slept. And the Lord did that surgery and took one of his ribs. And a lot of ladies uh, have been wondering for many years if he ever woke up, but that's a joke and I guess that wasn't that funny. <laughs> he fell into a deep sleep. Anyway, never mind. And so he says, I was on my face with my face to the ground. See, you guys were just too caught up in the holiness of God to laugh at that weak attempt at humor. Now, I mentioned to you that there are scholars, if you read commentaries on the book of Daniel, who go back and forth and wonder if in verses 5 and 6 it's actually an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ or is it simply an angel. In Luke 1.19, Gabriel says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And we know that angels are awesome in their presence. Could it be that verses 5 and 6, even though closely paralleling Revelation 1, is just an angel, and the angel is showing similarities to maybe the glory of God because he stands in the presence of God. But I think that's probably going a little too far, and I don't think that's where we need to go. You see, Pastor Chris and I were having a discussion, and he reminded me in verse 1 of Daniel 10 that we need to really remember that this is a vision. And so, uh, notice, a message was uh, revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, 10-1. The message was true, one of great conflict. He understood the message, and he had an understanding of the vision. Remember when John gets a vision of the throne room uh, in Revelation 4 and 5, what does he see? He sees the throne of God, he sees the Lamb, and what else does he see? He sees angels. There's a debate about who the 24 elders are, but we know that there's the seraphim or the cherubim that are there, and they're described with eyes on the front and the back, and remember that they're, they're those cool creatures. And so we know that the throne room of God can have multiple um, beings, if you will. So it's not hard to imagine that at one point it's Jesus, and then some of this language, it can't be Jesus. And so Maybe what happens is after this deep sleep, when he wakes up from it, then, then it's an angel. And that's not hard to imagine at all, especially if Daniel is getting a vision of the throne room of God. Because there, there would be God and there would be angels because myriads of myriads of angels attend him all the time. So I don't think we need to make too much of this. I think we can safely say that verses 5 and 6 are Jesus, the Son of Man, the pre-incarnate uh, Christ, and then uh, there's an angel that's now going to interact with uh, Daniel from this point on. I don't know how long Daniel slept, but he fell into a deep sleep, verse 9. He had his face to the ground, so we would imagine that he was in that sleep for however long. We, we would only be speculating, but we could assume that it was a while. 
And so he was fearful, and he fell into the sleep. And he says, behold, verse 10, a hand touched me. Now, here's where I think the hand is somebody else. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Now, can you imagine being Daniel? You're seeing all this incredible stuff. You're seeing the, uh, the glorified uh, Christ. You're seeing the throne room of God, and you fall into a deep sleep, and you got no strength, and you're out for a while, and then a hand touches you. This is all supernatural stuff. If you've ever just seen a little glimpse of the supernatural, if you've ever gotten a little taste of it, it's kind of weird. Because it's not the normal place where we live. We live largely in the natural, right? And so when you get a little supernatural, a little, a little bit of the door comes open, a little bit, some of you have uh, got, interacted with some dark things maybe, it can be freaky. It can be. Last night, uh, JT and I, JT's uh, verse, and this is the young man who, uh, uh, believe it or not, went through a demon possession situation. And many of you were here. He was baptized last Christmas Eve. You know, it's been a year since JT um, was delivered by the Lord. Last night, he had a chance to share with the youth group his testimony. It's funny because I don't speak to youth groups that much, but uh, we were there and the kids were kind of joshing around and they were laughing. Some of them were talking during the time we were talking. But once we got into the meat of JT's story, they were like... (laughs) Because really what we encountered there was some dark forces, but the light of God was much, much brighter than any darkness. And now JT's walking with the Lord. And you know what his verse is? It's Luke... um, I think it's chapter 8, 38 and 39, where Jesus says to the formerly demon-possessed man, no, you're not coming with me, but go to your family, go to your people, and tell them all the wonderful things that God has done for you. That's JT's verse now. And he's living it. That's pretty cool. So last minute he asked me if I could show up too, and it was really, it was a good time. It was good to remember what what the Lord had done. And so he says, this hand touched me. I was trembling on my hands and knees, just kind of, you know, maybe crouching up from that sleep. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, if you have a New King James, it says, greatly beloved. Understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Now, I don't know if you can get your arms around this, but he's talking to an angel. And angels are real shiny. (laughs) Veggie tails, man. Come on. Can you imagine? The angel didn't just talk to him. The angel touched him. How many of you remember the uh, TV series Touched by an Angel? There's multiple occasions where Daniel's touched by an angel. Now, I will say this. The TV series Touched by an Angel was not really theologically correct. <laughs> seemed like at the end of every, every episode, it was something like this. God loves you, Johnny. Something like that. And then it would be this emotional scene, and the angel would bring reconciliation and whatever else. But it wasn't always a biblical representation of things. This is the true Touched by an Angel. And when Daniel gets touched by an angel, he's like, (laughs) I mean, what would you be doing? Hey, you'd like an iced tea? You know, uh, 
I mean, come on, it's an angel. Daniel, a godly man, praying three times a day, spending much of his life in the presence of God. When an angel touched him, he was, he was freaked out by it. And so you can see that verse 12 makes a lot of sense. The angel says to him, don't be afraid, Daniel. For from the first day you set your heart on understanding, and let's not miss that he was called greatly loved. On the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. The very first day you prayed. And I've come in response to your words. Because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The book of James, chapter 5, verse 16. Some people wonder, does God move in response to our prayers? Apparently he does. Because this angel says, when you began to pray, I began to move. So sometimes we feel like when we pray, nothing happens, right? And I don't understand all the layers of this. I know ultimately God is sovereign. But when you prayed... He says, I've come in response to your prayers. And if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, if they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. And I will what? I will heal their land. Sure sounds to me like when you pray, God does respond. Now I know God is God. And he uses our prayers as a means to his ends. And he's ultimately sovereign and in control. But somehow God has graced us with the privilege of praying and Him moving in response to our prayers. Now they have to be in His will and so forth. We all know that. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, 13, was withstanding me or resisted me for how long? For 21 days. How long was Daniel's fast? 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of my favorite guys in the Bible, I had a friend text me earlier and say, are you in Florida right now? There's a hurricane. Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. I should clarify, the hurricane's name is Michael. Because <laughs> people are going to listen to this later and they're like, what was he talking about? Anyway. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now what in the world is going on? The, the angel says the prince of the kingdom of Persia resisted me for 21 days. Look, everybody look up at the screen. We get an inside look at spiritual warfare. When we introduced chapter 10, we said there is a battle going on in the spiritual world. A battle I do not understand fully, nor do I see. Nonetheless, the Bible says exists. Here's another place. An angel says, from the time you began to seek the Lord, the very first day, God responded, and I was coming to you, and I was coming with a message, but this prince of Persia, this, this prince of the kingdom of Persia, was withstanding me the whole time. Why Persia? Who's the world empire ruling at this moment? Persia. Remember, Babylon has been overtaken by the Medo-Persian Empire. And it's the king of Persia that has allowed the uh, captives to go back to Israel to rebuild the temple. So spiritual warfare 
in some sense, however this works, is around territories and around world leaders. You remember in 1 Timothy 2 when Paul says to pray for kings and all those who are in authority? That's 1 Timothy 2, I think it's verse 1. Why does he say that? Because spiritual warfare apparently is going on consistently around the work of God and around world empires that are dominant. So think about that the next time you pray. Think about that the next time somebody says, you know, we should be regularly praying for pastors or regularly praying for our president or vice president or whomever. Just think about that because this spirit was, is identified with the Persian Empire, which is the dominant world empire of the day. Where, where would Satan be camp, setting up camp to have the most impact on the world? where the biggest decisions that can uh, impact the world are being made. Correct? So where does prayer need to be going up on behalf of the people of God? Right there as well. Right where the battle is being waged. 21 days. And there was a battle going on. And it wasn't until Michael, one of the chief princes, we know him as an archangel, came to help me. For I've been left there with the kings of Persia. This angel had been battling for three weeks and Michael had to come and help. Later in the chapter, Michael is called the Prince of Israel. We'll get into that more as we unfold this chapter and a little later when we get into uh, chapter 12. Michael is described as one of the chief princes and he came to help the angel, probably Gabriel here, in a 21-day struggle in responding to the prayer of a man named Daniel. At a critical moment in the life of the nation of Israel, the archangel Michael stepped in. We see him uh, also appear in Revelation 12 when he battles the great dragon and defeats him and he's thrown down, Revelation 12. The three-week delay was due to an evil angel opposing Gabriel in heavenly warfare. Do I completely understand that? As it leaves my mouth, does it sound a little strange and even weird? Yes. Does the Bible teach it? Yes. And sometimes I think we have a sense that it's going on, don't we? Sometimes when we can see things beyond just seeing them, you know what I'm saying? You get some spiritual lenses on a situation and you go, man, th there's a conflict behind this conflict. There's something deeper going on here than just you know, the stuff of the flesh. And Daniel had been involved in a spiritual conflict and he didn't even know it. As he was praying and mourning and fasting, the Lord was using him. The late Peter Deneka, missionary to the Slavic people, often reminded us, much prayer, much power. No prayer, no power. As Daniel waged the battle in prayer, he didn't even fully understand what was going on in the heavenlies, but yet he prayed. The angel says, now I've come to give you understanding, 14, of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. That had been on Daniel's heart. He was wondering about the future of his people, the spiritual warfare around the rebuilding of the temple, the future of the nation. They had been in 70 years of captivity in Babylon. So many empires had come and go, even under Daniel's uh, time there. And the vision has to do with the last days. And when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground, 15, 
and I became speechless or mute. He says, I was shocked, startled. I couldn't even speak. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips, almost like we see in Isaiah 6. We see this in Jeremiah chapter 1. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, and he said to him who was standing before me, Oh, my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me. I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. Daniel says, I was breathless. Why are you talking to the likes of me? I know people say they dream of angel encounters and they dream of a moment when you know they could really you know get a glimpse of the glory of God but I'll tell you what if you really get one take the breath right out of you Daniel was a godly man seeking the Lord but he was blown away at the love that heaven had for him and the fact that this angel was interacting with him then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me And he said, O man of high esteem, greatly loved, don't be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. So many times when there were critical moments in the disciples' life, they would hear the words, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. That was spoken to Joshua as well. Then he said, Do you understand why I came to you? Twenty. But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece. Greece is what? The next world power. Remember how we're studying the statue in Daniel 2, world empires? This is why skeptical scholars cannot believe the book of Daniel was written in the 500s. Because Greece becomes a world power in the 300s. How can Daniel know this? Because an angel who hangs around God is telling him. He says, I'm I'm leaving. I'm going to fight against the prince of Persia. It's going to be a battle for me once I leave. I'm going forth and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. So get this, Bible students. You know how we have territories being talked about here? Michael is the prince of Israel. What does that mean? He seems to be their angel that watches over them. And since we know he's one of the strongest, (laughs) right? All God's people, yeah, Michael, Michael, that's right. Since we know he's one of the strongest, (laughs) Michael the Archangel. He has been specially assigned to the nation that's been brutalized, victimized, persecuted throughout the centuries of time, but not vanquished, not eliminated, not obliterated. What's going on in Israel right now? Well, you may have noticed the American embassy was just relocated to Jerusalem, which is really another miracle in the land. The fact that they're even there is a miracle. 1967 and the Six-Day War is a miracle. They're in the top five 
exporting fruits and vegetables from a land that nobody even wanted to go back to is a miracle. I think they're in the top three in technology in the entire world. Israel has blossomed again. Why? Because God has made a declaration that they are his people and he is going to work again in the nation of Israel. And so it's important for us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's important for us to be aware of world events. It's important for us to watch how the United States treats Israel. Believe me, it's important. Those who bless you, I will bless. All the way back to Genesis 12 hasn't changed. And the reason that America has experienced the blessings that it has, I believe in large part, is because we have been friends with Israel. I truly believe that. I believe that is a biblical worldview. And what we've gotten here is a little taste of the battle behind, behind the battle. Michael, Israel's pre, prince, standing watch. But not without a fight, not without forces. They're... They're here today. In fact, the new name of Persia is Iran. Did you know that? Do you know that Iran was called Persia into the early 1900s and was renamed Iran probably a little over 100 years ago? That's where we are on the world stage even today. That's why when you do watch the news reports and you watch about deals being made and things going on and nuclear weapons being threatened and you know, people making claims about they're going to push Israel into the sea and, and so forth, and you watch uh, American presidents who, who talk and do nothing and certain ones that do something, there's a lot going on here, folks. There's a lot at stake and there's even battles behind those battles. As tough as those battles on the surface are, that's just the beginning. And remember, I've told you, and I hope you can see it all kind of come together now, that throughout time, the spiritual warfare directed at the nation of Israel has been singularly for this reason. Because Israel produced the Messiah. Israel is the nation after God's own heart. And because of that, that's why this conflict exists. This is the only way. Put, I'll put this aside for a second. This is the only way you can understand world history. Now I'll put it back. Is to understand it through your Bible. That's how you make sense of it. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for giving us a glimpse it reminds me in Luke 16, Jesus, when you gave us a glimpse of what happens when someone dies. Two men die. One is under judgment. One is in paradise. You gave us a little glimpse of what happens after you die. And tonight, we've get, been given a glimpse of the battle behind the battle. But we know that, Lord, we're on the winning side but that doesn't mean there's not going to be conflict and difficulty. But we're fighting the good fight of faith, taking hold of eternal life, doing it with the weapons that you've given us, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are spiritual, and they are mighty through God. For the demolishing of strongholds, for the destruction of fortresses, of every 
lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Father, help us in this battle, knowing that the battle belongs to the Lord, knowing that we have an armor that's the armor of light, knowing that Jesus is our armor, knowing that we simply just have to put on what you have provided makes all the difference. It calms our hearts. It encourages our souls. So we just pray that tonight as we, we've looked at these things, Lord, even though they seem uh, kind of strange at times, admittedly, thank you that you've shown us, you've given us some insight to it. And we don't have to be afraid because we know greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we know we're going to rule and reign with you, Lord. And once this is all done and the swords are beat into plowshares and they learn war no more, you will reign. And we're just so grateful. It almost seems like a story too good to be true. But at the end of Revelation, it says these words are faithful and true. Write them, they are faithful and true. So dear saint, would you hold on, be encouraged, put on freshly the full armor of God. If you're backslidden and maybe you've lost some ground, you, felt, you feel like you've lost some battles, just know that he's faithful to get you back where you need to be. And if you're not a Christian tonight, man, I would just encourage you to run to Jesus. Because right now, without him, you have no covering, really. But with him, you are more than a conqueror. So if you've not met Jesus, maybe you want to make it official tonight. Just pray, Jesus, I believe that you are God the Son, the Son of God. I believe you came to this world to die for my sin, to take my punishment, to carry my shame, to take the wrath of God. I repent of my sin. I trust you as my Lord and Savior. I want to be your servant. I want to be part of your army and your kingdom. I want to serve you, Lord, and love you. I want to be like a Daniel. I want to fight for the right things, for justice and goodness and love and mercy. Father, for those who are praying and maybe articulating some of their own prayers, may you Meet them where they are tonight. May you bless them with the sweetness of your presence. May you encourage the weak. May you heal bodies that are sick tonight. May you mend relationships that may be broken. May you stir your people to love and good deeds. In Jesus' name.